0: If you grab your Bibles and stand with me for the scripture reading and turn to the book of Luke, we're reading chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. You can turn and find that on page 608. Once again, Pastor Bruce will be preaching on Easter this morning, and we'll be looking at the passage from the book of Luke. Listen as I read chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, but they do not know what they do. And they divided his garment and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who had hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then they said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you're coming to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross in our place as payment for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you open our hearts and minds to learn from the message you've laid on Pastor Bruce's heart this morning. Help us to come away changed and renewed from the Easter message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's
1: nothing better than coming together to celebrate the defining moment in all of history. The day Jesus defeated death. The day Jesus resurrected from the grave. But if we're honest, most of us Would have to admit that we probably came here today somewhat a little distracted, either by personal issues going on in your own life, your family's life, whatever the case may be, or maybe you're distracted by what's going on in our presidential election this year. Maybe you're a little distracted, a little consumed and anxious over the recent terrorist attacks in Brussels, Belgium that has left 31 people dead and over 300 people injured. Whatever it is, it's consuming your thoughts, your heart, and God knows all about it. And He cares for you. And that's why I want to ask you for these next few minutes to kind of focus your heart and your mind and your attention on God's amazing grace this morning. I want you to step back in time with me to the day Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. We know it as Good Friday, and I want you to picture in your mind not one cross, but three crosses. It's Friday in Jerusalem, the smell of death is in the air, the outside the city wall in a place long reserved for public executions, three crosses stand beside a road. The crowd has gathered on this day. Not that crucifixion was unusual, but this day is different. An unusual man is being crucified, and his name is Jesus. Jesus wasn't your ordinary criminal, though. Not a thief. He's not a murderer. In fact, there were those who thought he wasn't guilty at all. But there Jesus was hanging on that middle cross. And on either side, two men were crucified with him. So who were the two men being crucified with Jesus that day? Well, Luke here in his gospel gives us a portrait of these two men. Notice with with me again what Luke writes in verses 32 and 33 when he writes, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And they had come to the place called Calvary. And there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Luke describes these two men, and he uses this one word to describe them, criminals, which means they were guilty of something, guilty of multiple offenses of violence. And In fact, tradition suggests that these men were more than likely political revolutionaries bent on overthrowing the Roman government at that time. And so we, we almost might think of them as ruthless criminals. In fact, just by the fear of fact that that they're being crucified indicates that they were guilty of serious crimes here. Something more severe than just petty theft and robbery. But beyond that we really know little else about these two criminals. We do not know their names We do not know their hometowns or their specific crimes that they committed. We assume that they might have been partners in crime, but we're not even sure about that. We would not know anything about them except this, that they are simply supporting players in the greatest drama of all time, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. On the surface here, it may appear that these two men are exactly alike, They were both criminals who were sentenced to die together on the same time, at the same place, on the same day. Both men had been severely beaten already. Both were stripped naked and both were dying on a cross and would soon be dead. No one could look at them and tell any difference. But in reality, no two men could be more different. In fact, these two criminals looked the same, But they differed on one main point. In fact, you'll find in your bulletin there an insert where you can follow along and fill in some blanks. You're welcome to do that or just follow along on the screen behind me here. But notice how they differed on this one main point, and that is how they viewed Jesus Christ being crucified in the middle. These two criminals saw Jesus differently, and therefore they asked Him for different things. One man wanted to escape the the consequences of his actions, while the other man wanted forgiveness for his actions. And so, what I want us to do is, is to take a closer look at both of these men and how they responded to Jesus Christ being crucified in the middle. Number one, look and see the dying unbelief of a hardened sinner. Was any man ever in a more desperate situation than this man? Brutally crucified, this hardened sinner is dying in agony for crimes he had committed. He is a guilty man, justly punished. He deserves to die, and he knows it. By sundown, he will be dead. This man is as close to death as you can be, and yet still be alive. He's hanging on by a thread. And yet, look how he responds to Jesus Christ in Luke 23 here, verse 39. It says, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. This man's heart is so hard that even as he's being crucified, he rails on Jesus. He mocks him. In fact, this word blasphemy means to, to speak evil of. In the word tense, means that he kept on doing it. He kept on railing on Jesus, kept on mocking Jesus. Here is a man who is dying and all he can think of is mocking and ridiculing the Son of God. And so he joined right in with the crowd, and ridiculed Jesus saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. So what triggered this intense hatred of Jesus? Well, whatever his motivation may have been, this poor man spent the last pitiful hours of his life mocking the only one who could have saved his soul. Think about it. How can a man be so close to the Savior and yet so far from the truth. How can he reject the amazing grace of Jesus Christ in such a time of need in his life? The answer is simple. It's unbelief. This man reveals the true nature of his attitude toward Jesus when he uses this word, if. If. He's saying, look, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be all the all-powerful king? If. If if you can get yourself off this cross and get me off of mine, then then I'll believe you that you are the Christ. His words reveal a heart that is unconvinced that Jesus is the Messiah and unconcerned about his own eternal destiny. And it's easy to look at this man and say, "What a tragedy is it not?" And it is a tragedy. But wait a minute here, this man is no different from the multitudes of people that live all around us even today. He wasn't a sinner because he was a criminal. Listen, he was a criminal because he was a sinner. In his lost condition, this lost man is no different than anyone else in the world who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so he spent his last moments denying Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah and rejecting the forgiveness that Jesus could offer him. I've concluded that this man's behavior, it isn't the exception. Oh no, it's, it's really the norm when you think about it. I used to think that when a crisis hit a person's life, they would then turn to God. But I've since changed my life after 15 years of ministry. What I've learned is that when a person is facing a crisis, going through a crisis, their heart tends to accelerate in the direction that it's already pointed to, that it's already going. And it did for this man, and it did for Timothy McVeigh. Some of you here might remember... On June 11th of 2002, Timothy McVeigh was executed by lethal injection for bombing the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. In his final statement, what's interesting is that Timothy McVeigh quoted the poem Invicus by William Henley. I quote his words here. He says, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. My head is bloody but not bowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Timothy McVeigh and this hardened sinner used their last words to make a statement. No person is going to tell me how to live my life. That's the trait that marks so many people in our world today. Because of their unbelief, they reject the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Let me just throw out a question here for you. Is that the trait that marks your life? Is that the trait of unbelief? Is that the road your life is on? The road that leads to destruction? What a tragedy. Here's a man who threw away his chance at forgiveness. Here's a man who missed out on eternity in heaven. Even in the shadow of his death, this man was too proud to surrender his life to Christ, all because of his unbelief. And it would be an eternal tragedy if we should die in our unbelief in rejection of God's amazing grace. But what about the other criminal? How did he respond to Jesus being crucified in the middle? Well, look and see the saving faith of a humble sinner. Look and see the saving faith of a humble sinner. Now what's interesting is that both of these criminals started out the day mocking and ridiculing Jesus. In fact, this second man's attitude was like that of his partner in crime, hanging on either side of Jesus. We don't know who was the greater sinner of the two, but either of them could have been on Jerusalem's most wanted list. But then something happened. Something changed. This second man opened his eyes. He opened his heart. And at that moment, he saw Jesus. And as he looked upon the Savior, his heart was convicted of his own sinfulness and Jesus' righteousness. I can almost imagine the scene. The man on the left hurls Insult at Jesus, fully expecting his friend to return the volley of venom. Only this time, the man on the right has a change of heart and rebukes him. Hey, don't you fear God? I can see it now. The soldiers stop their gambling to look up. The Pharisees pause their celebration to listen in. And Mary wipes her tears to see this humble sinner. Who is that? Notice this man's faith. Look at it with me here in verses 40 and 41. It says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, this man is confessing something. And what he's confessing is that, hey, we're guilty. He's innocent. We're sinful, but He is pure and holy. This man in the middle is not on the cross for his sin. He's on the cross for our sins. And then he turns to Jesus. And he humbly pleads in verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what happened though? What happened to this man that caused him to change his heart towards Jesus? Well, it could have been any number of things that spoke to his heart. Perhaps it was the grace with which Jesus responded to his enemies. Remember, as Jesus hung on the cross with the crowd mocking him, this man couldn't help but hear what Jesus said on the cross. Jesus returning their hatred and anger with love and forgiveness. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In verse 34, he could not forget those words of forgiveness that Jesus offered to his ridiculers, the people who were crucifying him. It pierced his conscience, and he realized the sinfulness of his own heart, and he knew at that moment he also needed forgiveness for his own sins. As this man surveyed the situation at Calvary that day, he came to see Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus was his only hope. Think about it. He believed at a time when it appeared that Jesus was entirely helpless to save anyone. In fact, he asked another dying man for hope for the future. That's incredible. Jesus is hanging next to him on a cross. Jesus is a bloody mess. A crown of thorns pierced his skull. His face was swollen from the beatings. His beard had been plucked from his face. And and what hair remained was matted with blood, sweat, and tears. And despite having a, a sign above his head that read, The King of the Jews, no man ever looked less like a king than Jesus did that day. And yet... And yet, this man, this humble sinner, he saw Jesus as he really was. He saw Him as the Savior, the Son of God, the King of kings, and he responded with saving faith. This humble sinner demonstrated three characteristics of what saving faith is. Notice with with me quickly here. The first characteristic of saving faith is to fear God. God, you are holy and just. Until now, this man had lived in total disregard for God. His life was the kind of life the Bible talks about in Psalm 36, verse 1, where it says, An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. But after seeing Jesus, he now realizes that it is both healthy, it is right to fear God. And the Bible says in Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Understand, a key characteristic of saving faith is to fear God. God to respect Him, to understand that you cannot conquer death on your own, that you cannot forgive your own sins, you cannot save yourself, to realize that everyone here today is going to stand before a holy and just God, and we are going to give an account of our life to that God. And when you do, that it is best to have Jesus standing by your side. Fear God. It's the first characteristic of saving faith. The second characteristic is to then admit guilt. Or we might say it this way, to repent of our sin. That I'm guilty of sin. Now sin is something we all have an easy time doing, amen? You bet. We all have an easy time doing sin, but a hard time admitting it. In fact, we'll try about anything to make our sin look more acceptable in the eyes of our family, our friends, even ourselves. Reminds me of the story I heard about a man working on his family tree for a reunion coming up. And and so he hired a researcher. And a few days later he called and said he had some bad news on what he had found. In his research he had found that one of his great uncles not only went to prison, but was executed for his crime. His crime of murder. Embarrassed for himself and his family, the man asked the researcher if he could do something about it. And the researcher said he already had and wanted to know if the following was okay, that this is what he would put in the book. Uncle Harry occupied a chair of applied electricity at one of our important government institutions. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. (laughs) All kidding aside, though. It doesn't matter how you try to cover it up, we're all guilty of what? Sin. The Bible tells us this much in Romans chapter 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In this second criminal, he understood this reality about himself. He didn't try to cover up his sin. He didn't try to excuse his sin or to rationalize his sin or to justify it. He came out and he simply admitted it. And as long as we continue to see ourselves as good and moral, we'll never see ourselves as God sees us. In fact, until we come to the same conclusion about ourselves as this second criminal did, we can't be saved. Listen, we are sinners in need of a Savior. A Savior who offers us forgiveness for our sins. And so the first characteristic of saving faith is to fear God. The second characteristic is to admit guilt or repent of our sin. And the third characteristic then is to trust Jesus. Jesus, I trust you for my salvation. I'm depending on you and you alone to forgive me for my sins and to grant me the gift of eternal life. This is what the second man did when he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, there are many, many people who know the truth about Jesus. And perhaps you're here this morning and you know the truth about who Jesus is. But they have yet to put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. Salvation is not an automatic thing. It must be received. And it's received by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so let me just throw out another question for you to ponder here this morning. Has there been a time in your life when you have trusted Jesus for your salvation? If not, today can be the day of your salvation. These two criminals hanging beside Jesus may have looked the same, but oh, what a difference Jesus can make. The first man mocks Jesus in defying unbelief, but the second man cries out to Jesus in saving faith. And at the very last second, he was saved by God's amazing grace. And that brings us to our final point here look and see. You say, look and see what? Look and see the amazing grace of a holy Savior. Picture the cross of Jesus. Picture Him hanging up there. Picture Jesus stretched out against the sky. And then ask yourself, what's He doing up there? And the answer is, our Jesus, our Savior, He's subbing for you and me. Jesus is taking God's wrath for your sin. Jesus is satisfying the just demands of a holy God. Jesus is paying the price that God's holiness demands so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. In the place where our blood should have stained the ground, Jesus hung as our substitute. That's what the Bible means when it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And because of this amazing grace, Jesus fulfilled this humble sinner's request for salvation. Notice Jesus' answer in verse 43. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Look at it with me. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Wow! This criminal. Man, he received so much more than he asked. In fact, Jesus gave him a promise with three parts to it. First, his salvation. Notice this, it was immediate. Jesus promised when? Tomorrow? Next week? No, today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say next year, next week, even tomorrow. Jesus was talking about today. Jesus wanted him to know that this very day, the day of your crucifixion is the day of your salvation. This means after a Christian dies, there is no waiting period. There is no purgatory. We get to be with Jesus when? Immediately. Second, his salvation was not only immediate, it was personal. Jesus promised, today you will be with me. That phrase, be with me. Oh, that's a phenomenal phrase. That's a beautiful phrase. It means to be with me in a very personal way. It's not you over there and me over here, but you and me together, side by side. At its heart, Christianity, listen folks, It's so much more than just a religion. It's a relationship with the living, risen Lord. Third, his salvation was heavenly. Jesus promised, today you will be with me where? In paradise. This word paradise, it's a beautiful word because it means a beautiful garden. And it originally referred to the walled gardens of the Persian kings. The same word is used to describe the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it refers now to heaven in Revelation. And so if you take these three promises together, you see what a remarkable thing that Jesus is saying to this criminal. Truly, this criminal received so much more than he asked. And get this, Jesus guaranteed it all. In the first part of verse 43, you'll notice that Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you. That phrase is also translated, I tell you the truth. In other words, Jesus was telling this criminal, Listen, I absolutely promise and guarantee that you will be with me in paradise. Have you ever wondered what makes Christianity different from all other religions of the world? Well, there are many differences. But consider this one. Of all the world's religions, Christianity is the only faith that guarantees salvation to its followers. What a day for this second criminal. In the morning, he's in prison. At noon, he's hanging on a cross. And by sundown, he's in paradise. All because of his saving faith in God's amazing grace. Now, as we come to kind of our conclusion here, and as we think about this second criminal salvation i want to share and just leave you with three lessons of hope from god's amazing grace here at calvary and the first lesson of hope is this it's never too late to turn to jesus christ aren't you thankful for that it's never too late to turn to jesus christ as long as there's breath in life as long as your heart still beats it's never too late to turn to Jesus. And while it's true this man was saved at the very last moment of his life, one author points out that this man was not saved at his last opportunity, but at his first opportunity. And perhaps you believe, perhaps you think in your own heart that someday you too will trust Jesus before you die, right before you die. But there are two reasons we should not delay in accepting Jesus as our Savior. First, we don't know the time of our death, do we? Not everyone has a warning of when they're going to die. Millions of people die unexpectedly without so much as a minute to think about their relationship with God. Do you think those 31 people in Brussels had a warning that they were going to die this past week? No. Listen to the perspective of a man who was on death row but now released. Here's his words. He says, when I meet people now, if they try to make a big deal about me having been on death row, I sometimes gently remind them that we're all on death row. The difference is that here... The state's going to do it. And at some point, you're going to know the date and the hour. But that's the only difference. I mean, if you're walking around here free, you're still on death row because you're going to have to leave here sooner or later. You're going to lay down and die, and they're going to throw dirt in your face. And so don't delay. Another reason not to delay is most people who reject Jesus when they are healthy reject Jesus when it's time to die. The older we get, our hearts are either drawn closer to the Lord or driven to move away from Him. Why? Because neutrality with Jesus is impossible. And so while it's never too late to turn to Jesus, if God is moving in your heart today, is the day of your salvation. The second lesson, is that even the very worst sinner can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Even the worst sinner can be saved. You may think that you've done too many bad things in your life to ever receive God's forgiveness. You know, there are many people who think that. Let me put it as plainly as I can here for us. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed, God's grace is greater than all our sins. The issue is not the greatness of our sin, but our willingness to trust Jesus that determines our eternal destiny. Here's our hope. If this man can be saved, then anybody can be saved. Although his sins were many, he is proof of God's amazing grace. One author put it this way, He could not walk in the path of righteousness, for there was a nail through either foot. He could not perform any good works, for there was a nail through either hand. He could not turn over a new leaf and live a better life, for he was dying. And yet, in one transforming moment, this man who is not fit to live here on earth, was made fit to live in heaven by God's amazing grace. You say, so what's the lesson? The lesson is this. Bad deeds can't keep you out of heaven. And good deeds won't get you in. Because salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus so even the worst of sinners can be saved. There's a third lesson of hope here. And that is God has made salvation simple. God has made salvation simple so every person can be saved. But you must respond. You must choose. If this story teaches us anything, it teaches us that salvation is simple, but it's also a choice. Over 2,000 years ago at Calvary, two men hung... On either side of Jesus Christ, one man chose to reject God's gift of amazing grace, while the other man chose to receive it by faith. Today, each of us, we are here this morning, Resurrection Sunday, known as Easter Sunday, and we are faced with the same choice Will we turn to Jesus and receive His grace? Or will we turn away from Jesus and reject his grace? Life before us has so many choices, so many options. But eternity has only two. And no choice is more important than your choice regarding God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, In just a moment, we're going to have a time where you can respond to God's amazing grace. But before we do, let me ask you, when you look at Calvary, what do you see? When you picture Jesus dying on the cross for you, what do you see? Do you see a Savior who loved you so much that He willingly died on the cross for your sins so that you could receive eternal life? Do you see your need of a Savior? Do you see your need of forgiveness of sins? Do you see your need of God's grace? Do you see that Jesus loves you and will save you if you come to Him in faith? Listen, if your answer is yes, then I invite you to stop looking and to come to Jesus right now. Like the second criminal, will you call on Jesus for your salvation today? If you will, He will save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so, the praise team's going to sing, and as they do, I invite you. God is inviting you to respond in saving faith to His amazing grace. He is here, and He is ready to offer you forgiveness for your sins and the gift of eternal life, but you must respond in faith. And if God is pulling at your heart, and you're ready to do that, I invite you to sincerely pray. What is, it's a prayer right there in the bottom of your notes, something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you are the Savior who died to pay the penalty for my sin and then rose again. I want to turn from my sins and follow you instead. Please forgive me of my sins and save me. I receive you by faith as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise team's going to sing, and as they do, I invite you to respond right where you're seated. Will you cry out to Jesus to save you? Lord, we pray that you would do a work that only you can do now. Let the example of this criminal salvation be an example to all of us here this morning, that you are willing to save anyone who comes to you. And so may you draw people to yourself for salvation and for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. As the praise team sings, will you respond?